0: All right, welcome to the Conversations That Matter podcast. My name is John Harris, and I am pleased to be joined today uh, with uh, Stephen Wolfe, I have with me, who writes for Sovereign Nations. And actually, Stephen, I found out about your material just from Facebook, I want to say like a year, two years ago, something like that. Somehow we became friends. I don't know how, but I appreciated a lot of your articles, and I think you helped me understand better, especially Two Kingdom Theology and reform theology uh, as it pertains to political theory. So um, thank you for, for being on with me. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me on.
0: So, Stephen, the reason I wanted to have you on specifically, other than the fact that you're smart and I think you have a lot to share, is you wrote an article recently, and I found out about it through Cross Politic, but it's called The Evangelical Reconcilers, How Evangelicalism Reconciles Itself with Modern Liberalism and the title of that just kind of captured me and i thought what what are you talking about evangelical reconcilers and i thought i knew and then i read it and i I thought this is a brilliant piece and everyone needs to understand the argument or the the points that you're bringing out here i want to start uh if i can by reverse engineering this i want to start with the conclusion and then work backwards um so because i think you bring out some of the implications of why this is important in the conclusion but then let's explain who are the reconcilers why, why is it important that we understand what they're doing and the uh, the effects that their work can have on Christianity and the political situation in our country and the Western world? So I'm going to read this. It's a little lengthy, but just just hold on with me. Uh, you say, The evangelical reconcilers are orchestrating a Neo-Anabaptist turn, and they're merely doing what the prevailing ideology has exalted them to do. Few will notice, however, this subtle reformulation of evangelical thought despite its opposition to classical protestant political theology many will miscategorize it as just another reiteration of the old liberalization of the christian faith But after demonstrating their theological orthodoxy the reconcilers will continue unabated to el- eliminate the evangelical threat to modern liberalism they will continue to socialize people into the new evangelical discourse dominated by catchy phrases, lines, tropes, and mantras, and appropriate terms, such as threat, witness, and political to new ends. I think you meant appropriated there. If I... <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> they will continue to Christianize popular sentiment and delude people into thinking that harmless Christian practices can disrupt secular ones. They will reduce political activity to moral witness and to securing walls of tolerance or religious liberty for a small space of distinctively Christian norms. But despite appearances, their orthodoxy, and perhaps their own consciousness, consciousness, their reconcilers are agents of the liberal ideological regime legitimated by it and for it, and we ought to identify them as such. So that's the conclusion that you reach. And I think you do a good job explaining why there's this group of evangelicals out there who are serving a purpose, whether we see it or not to uh, disrupt actual Protestant Christian political engagement and kind of neutralize what's going on. And and I think there's a confusion and you nail this in your conclusion that some of us will say, well, it's just that they're being liberal. And, and I want to put names with this because you named some names, but but they're actually not necessarily being liberal because they're trying to hold on to an orthodox Christianity <laughs> while neutralizing it. So I'm going to give you the floor now. <laughs> Who are the evangelical <clears throat> reconcilers?
1: All right. Well, uh, uh, this might, this could be could be a, a long um, explanation. So stop me if you need any clarification or make it simpler. But I think I think you have to start with the idea that that. Um, that we live in a time with a with a modern liberal ideology that is not, it's actually extremely pervasive within society. It's, But at the same time, it doesn't enforce itself uh, so much with a sort of brutality. So if you look at the old forms of, of enforcing a political ideology, it was often a, a form of physical brutality. So you, you don't conform, well, then the law is going to force you to conform, or it's going to be very physical, and it's uh, forcing to to, um, to conform. Whereas this one's uh, the modern liberal ideology operates very much on the the realm. It's like psychological. It's uh, it's enforced rhetorically, and you have these various social media. Uh, social media helps enforce this as well, using I think weaponized a lot of weaponized terms. So uh, I you know being accused of racism is one. Uh, homophobia, xenophobia. Um, all sorts of the, these, these terms, and, and what happens is it becomes socially damaging, uh, and uh, you, you're forced to be on the rhetorical, basically the rhetorical defensive. So you have, so this is something where we're we're enmeshed in this environment where we are dealing with and contending with a lot of these power terms, uh, power words, weaponized language that then uh, uh, has a lot of force to it. Yeah, and, and what's actually interesting is is a lot of these terms, like the accusation of racism, um, is is actually very vacuous in what it actually means in itself. It's one of the absurdities of our age where you have these weaponized language that actually, in, in themselves, don't mean a whole lot, but they're extremely powerful. So I, I, I say that then to say when. Because evangelical Christianity is actually very antithetical to modern liberalism, not only in, in, in social norms, but also just in, in the, um, its just view, general view um, of, of reality um, in the world, um, you're going to have uh, some kind of split between it. You're going to have some kind of antagonism between the dominant ideology and Christianity. Um, and so what, what, what this article is trying to show is that there's really that because of that, because of that divide, divide between the prevailing ideology and conservative Christianity, you're going to have these different groups form. And so I identify three groups, uh, the warriors, um, the, uh, uh, the uh, capitulators, and the reconcilers, those, those three groups um so what's gonna what's gonna this is this actually the the outgrowth of these groups should be very natural should actually make sense to us that this would happen um so you have this social force that's trying to get us conformed to liberalism and what what is it they see christianity as a threat because historically christianity within the west actually was a dominant force within society to um norm uh to, to create norms and to implement legislation and there's actually the, the prevailing, you know, um, system of belief was Christianity for a long, long time until fairly recently. So very reasonably, if you are a secularist uh, person or I call monoliberalism, then they will uh, see you as a threat. They will see you as a threat. Why? Well, because you at one point were a uh, dominant force within the West um, and you're antithetical to modern liberalism. So what's going to happen from this is that Christ, the, the different Christians are going to divide. You're going to have the, what I call the capitulators. Capitulators are people, so I, I would say Jonathan Merritt is one of them. Uh, he's very active on Twitter and Atlantic, I believe. Um, they're going to just abandon orthodoxy. They're going to abandon uh, basic, especially moral orthodoxy. So they're going to affirm homosexuality, that sort of thing. Um, And and probably certain aspects of theology, probably aspects of like atonement theology, they very much look like the old liberalizers, the the sort of people who um, wanted to shift conservative or you could say traditional evangelicalism or Christianity into kind of the modern age. And that ended up throwing out a lot of essential uh, doctrines, especially you can see it in in, uh, um, certain doctrines of the atonement and that sort of thing.
0: So this would be sojourners probably or...
1: Yeah, I think that would be a, a okay. good group, yeah. The, yeah, I think that would be a good group to think, um, yeah.
0: And the mainline I, denominations and what they yeah, become uh, would be good example as well.
1: Right, so it would be, uh, ma- mainly you think of like mainline denomination. that's, that's a good example of it. Um, and uh, a large part, evangelical, you think of uh, like evangelical Christianity today, conservative evangelicals, is in some sense a reaction to that old liberalization. So we as like a tribe, you and me, and a lot of other people, can see ourselves as conservatives who want to, who don't want that to happen again. We do right. not want that orthodoxy to slip again. We want to maintain that orthodoxy within evangelicalism and don't slip into the old liberalization. Okay? So I'm going to stop you right So what there. that means then is we're very wary of that sort of thing where people sure. start become moving away from orthodoxy.
0: Yeah. So so I just I, you know I thought of the, a story um, from when I was in college. I remember I had it was a secular university and I was the for all effective purposes, the one leading the Christian group on campus. And we had all sorts of problems with our administration. I mean, from getting equal access to student funds and being able to promote our club on campus. Uh, I mean, just, just a whole bunch of stuff. Um, I had to call ADF at one point and just find out what our what our rights were. I remember the Gideons came and they made them, like, stand out in the parking lot. So, so it was very antagonistic. But I remember I was in a, a music group there, and they... they <laughs> they held this is for their entire like music department they held their concert uh in it was a a uh a, i believe it was a, an episcopalian church they for for the secular university they went to an episcopalian church and the um the, the the pastor i guess there was very involved with this and there was this joint effort and they had this concert called live earth or something. it was it was affiliated with that to help save the planet and there was no problem there No problem with, you know, separation church and state kind of issues, which we were having with our evangelical group. And so I think you just beautifully described kind of like that's the, they don't see that as a threat. They're capitulating. So it's like they believe the same things we believe. They don't really believe the Bible's true. And and furthermore, on all the social issues, of course, they're pro-homosexual and all the rest. So anyway, I just... Figure I figured I'd throw right. that it's, out there. The,
1: the important thing to view these guys in relation to the ideology is that they are basically the open Christian arm of the ideology. They say, "Hey, look, we're kind of part of this." We, um, I wouldn't say they're part of the ruling class, but they're very comfortable with being around those sorts of people, and they are the Christian face of it. And they're trying to get you and us to actually be like them, so I actually abandon these these uh, core tenets and actually kind of uh, move towards so they're actually trying to in some sense trying to proselytize us into the modern I- ideology so that's that's the capitulators i don't talk a lot of, talk a lot about them yeah then i'll just say the, the warriors would be someone who's okay with the fact that we're a threat want to be a threat um want to assert our uh, you know themselves within society um, to try to change things conform them to uh maybe if not christian norms at least human ones so that we could all be um, uh, uh, equal, uh, in, in certain sense in the public square that we can, we don't, you know, there's no sort of prevailing ideology that excludes us. Um, so that they're the warriors who want to be more self-assertive and are not so much afraid of political power. Okay. That sort of thing. And there's, there's a wide range of, I think people who could be considered warriors. You
0: mentioned Doug Wilson as one example, uh, in your yeah, article. I think, I think he was the only one. To, is there anyone else that you
1: can think of that you would put in that category? Uh, well, yeah. I, I, I think people, uh, I mean, when first, first word comes to mind, would be someone like, I don't know, Hunter Baker. He's a, um, I know him through Facebook. I, I don't know how, how far he would want to associate with all this, but he would represent, I think, in part, or a lot of people, would, so Doug Wilson would represent kind of the more militant, not violently militant, but more like the more more kind of a, more very self-assertive, what's let's, let's kind of Christianized. Joseph Spurgeon,
0: maybe, or Matt Truella, would they kind of be in that vein? They're very... Countercultural, very you know i mean
1: you can see some people would be like maybe like like jeff durbin might be one as well he's i think he'd be one as well Um, but i think another group i think within the warrior class with people who uh see the public square not necessarily as one that has to be kind of christianized but one where hey we should be able to allow to contend in politics and be agonistic just like everyone else and there shouldn't be this, this like uh, presumed uh, you know, negativity when we enter the public square and, and try to formulate things uh, and, and push things and shape things. So that would be more like a, a, almost like a neutrality or common ground argument. I think those people can be worried as well. I, I, I know people disagree with that, but I think that could be the case. Well, so that, that's like what
0: you, the, you just said, because there, there is a certain sense of shame. That I, I've, and I've heard this even when I was in seminary. I heard this all the time, that... <laughs> Christians, especially, especially the more they align themselves with the Republican Party, they just want power. And that's all they're after. And it it was almost like, I I don't want, you know, I remember having this thought, like, I don't want people to think that I'm just like after power. And and, and so the the warrior class just doesn't care about that kind of pressure coming from the greater evangelical world, they're just going to go full full you know head, and, and they're going to yeah. do what they need to do to implement the law of god you know
1: i i think at at their best i think the, the warrior people are going to be the ones who recognize that we're all in some sense infected with this modern prevailing ideology it's in our heads we're drawn to it you see some of the people who have kind of deconverted when they and, and like Joshua Harris and other guys, the way they talk about the conversion is that now they're at peace they had there's a certain peace about it, which is really interesting way you talk about it and I think that the warrior people realize that it's not only a battle in the public square it's also one in your mind because in some sense we can, we can get drawn towards the peacefulness of just being of just kind of melding into the collective yeah, you're and not swimming being against one the current. of them and yeah yeah exactly there's something peaceful about it, so I think the at their best the warriors realize. That you that you you have to resist um, that psychological pressure that's inside you to seek after that easy route of peace and tranquility there's there's there is a certain cognitive tranquility with just kind of joining the masses in their in their sentiments and, and that's and, and actually just watch the deconversion narratives and they talk a lot about this idea of becoming this happiness and peace almost like this euphoric um that that they can release from that tension that they had to before had to contend with and just dive straight into um Mm. the modern mindset and just watch for that that idea of peace so anyway that's why i think warriors are very are are self-aware in that sense and they resist um, they're not resisting, it's not a, like a resisting truth and like, oh, maybe they're right. But it's more like just that, that, um, that I think we all have a, a desire to be kind of tranquil in our mental, you know, in our, in our life. Not only you just, just you know, um, and uh, we're so we're going to be drawn towards well, that. But, you know, it's like but the part man. of being, part of having a, like yeah. a, I, I, I find it kind of an, an, this effeminate aspect to deconversion um, in like the, the sense the that, it, that they've oh, failed sorry, to resist. Well, I'm just saying they've failed to resist um, they failed to resist the, this, uh, this, the, the promise of, um, of tranquility from the world. And that, and so I think that's something that everyone should, uh, should make sure that they are self-aware of that. So,
0: yeah. You know, it reminds me of, it's like the man who divorces his wife or something. And it's like, you know, they were fighting, they didn't get along. And then he's, you know, he makes this decision and then he's saying, well, I'm at peace now because it's just me. And, uh, you know, I don't have to deal with all of that, that, that strife anymore. And, and anytime there's friction, you know, I think weaker men, especially men who don't want to deal with conflict and play the part of a man, they're going to retreat for the sake of peace, pursuing their own, you know, the set of their own agenda. Um, that's not going to be a conflict with some, some you know, the external realities in their life. So, I mean, I think this is just so important and, and I see these two groups and it seems like there's a temptation to ju- just see the two groups, uh, right. with, with some of us, at least like there's, there's the good guys, there's the bad guys. Right. And, and of course, in my mind, the good guys are the guys that want to, they want to go and you know, exercise the great commission. And if there's any limitation on free speech, they're going to fight that. They're, they're going to take the battle to the world and the gates of hell will not prev- <laughs> prevail against Christ church. And then I see the bad guys as, okay, these are the guys who they've just created a truce with the world and you know, they're basically giving up orthodoxy. But there's a group in the middle, which I want to spend the majority of this on. Okay. Explain the group in the middle to us and why this is important.
1: Okay, so like I said before, that, that we are, as evangelicals, are kind of wary of this liberalization. And so when we think, when we think people look liberal, they think, oh, they're the old liberals are going to liberalize us. Um, but, but if you think about it, if it's true that, that this prevailing ideology of the modern liberalism sees us as a threat, but at the same time, um, we are going to be resistant to becoming all capitulators. Well, what, wh- who is then going to rise up among us that's going to then nullify us as a threat to the prevailing ideology. What is, what is the ideology that kind of almost infects all of us going? Who's going to be elevated among us? Well, I think just from observation that, that we have something called a reconciler group class and they are the most powerful people in evangelicalism at least in conservative you know in in conservative evangelicalism they're the most powerful group um, because they they have this sort of legitimacy as wise one there's political sages despite being wrong about so many things Um, and and they they get all the they get all the conferences they get all the book all the all these things all the book contracts articles and you can see this is in Christianity Today Gospel Coalition uh, and, and associated groups. Um, these guys will all be reconciled. So the idea behind a reconciler is one, they are not capitulators because they hold to, a, you know, a, they objectively hold to basic orthodoxy. So I think Danny Aiken, I think it's how you say his Aiken, um, uh, when, when he was uh, responding to some of the social justice, um, accusation that they was a lefty or social justice stuff, what did he do? Well, he ran through his orthodox credentials, even, yeah. Even substitution atonement, even you know penal substitution, um, imputation, all that stuff. Um, he, he, all that stuff where the old liberalizers um, would reject. He affirmed and said, "Hey, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, you know, some sort of lefty." But what these guys are is what they do is that they affirm that they, they affirm the distinctives that make it so that they can remain in our camp, you know, Ob- objective, identifiable as one of us. But at the same time they they have i 'm um, not saying that, that they have like nefarious purposes or some conspiracy but they the reason they are elevated up is because they can find legitimacy um, because they propose an idea they, they propose um, theology that nullifies Christ- evangelicalism as a threat to modern liberalism that 's what a reconciler is it's they, have, they, they remain in our camp because they they affirm our distinctives, but then they shape the way we think. Um, and, and who we affirm and, and, and uh, in order to then nullify us as a threat. In other words, and this comes out mainly in political theology. Well, not mainly, but one big area is political theology. It's what I call in the article a neo-Anabaptist turn. And that's this uh, attacking, uh, attacking political power. Um, they say that it's, it's, we shouldn't be obsessed with political power. Um, what, what they specifically mean by that is often kind of lost. Um, there's not a whole lot of political theory among these guys, which is very frustrating for a guy like me. Um, uh, but really it means that, that we are criticized for any kind of action that the self-assertive uh, trying to seize or uh, have some serious influence in politics through law. Um, I think this also means uh, uh, culture as well, so that there's a, a con- consistent critique of cultural Christianity, by which they really just mean, I think, Christian culture outside of, of the church. I think that there means more, there's more than that. Um, so in other words, in other words, that they want to make it so that we do not assert ourselves in society as people who bear the truth and want to then shape and norm society and politics and government and law with, um, with our, 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 you know, Christian perspective.
0: So Tim Keller, is he in this group?
1: I would say, uh yes uh, he he would be in this group as as well yeah so yeah. It was, he he would this is where the, the neo the neo calvinists are are an interesting group because the neo calvinists want to engage the culture but they're really basically just they're in a large part kind of like old modern liberal political liberals they don't want any they talk about transformation but it's really it seems like it's really they're public engagement is really a matter of witness and evangelical like evangelism. It's making Christianity look attractive, um, to, to, uh, people outside of it rather than actually a means of, uh, of asserting and kind of securing power, um, and Christian influence.
0: I, I know when I was at Southeastern, uh, w- it, the terms like gospel issue, and cultural engagement became really popular like right after trump's election and i didn't really hear those terms before but they became big and a lot of the time they were applied to the arts so you know getting christian film and you know, even you know if you have a talent to to paint you should paint as a way to engage culture but a lot of the time it was presented it wasn't as you know the the uh, Thesis antithesis, like show Christianity in uh, you know diametrical opposition. Offer a better way. It was it was more like, well, you're going to offer a better way, but you're going to do it by kind of like wooing <laughs> the world yeah. in, showing them how beautiful this is. I mean, to, to men who are in darkness, they're just going to see. And of course, God can can use things like that. But it was a different kind of. I mean, you just mentioned being a witness, and I think you mentioned Alan Noble's disruptive witness uh, book. And, um, and, and I see a little bit of a difference with the way that they're approaching it. it it's, uh, they don't want to offend the world. that, is, that seems like it's something they, they're really against.
1: Yeah. I, I think the, the way to, the way to see it is that they want, that they, they are very comfortable and actually would, would desire and see as a default for, for Christians to be kind of the marginalized group in society. So within that marginalized community, you can then show forth, you know, various art and 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 do Christian movies or Christian our film. You can do all sorts of, you know, um, uh, art, art activities within that, uh, and 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 that's I, I think that that's our perspective is, is that that we're a marginalized community, and then then we show forth all this creativity that we have, and in that in, in that that's fine. But my, what my point, what I was arguing though. Is that they are comfortable with that marginalization that they right. think that that's the default position, and that marginalization, despite all those other efforts to be to do arts and and all that sort of thing that um, that's really not a matter of saying, "Hey, we have a better way and by the way, this is the way it should be you know out there right um, it's really just a kind of a, a, a showing forth of uh, of the gospel within a their own marginalized community whereas and and what i'm saying is that very perspective is the reconciles perspective it's saying hey you guys should tolerate us or they call it religious liberty it's really there's a difference between religious liberty and toleration um but we won't get into that but but they're being um you know tolerate us and and then we'll show forth the gospel these arts and crafts but we won't actually go out into the world to um do something about our marginalization we, we won't demand equality in the public square uh, we won't contend do like a harsh con- uh, a harshly con- you know not harshly I, i'm saying um, like very self-assertively uh contend in the political realm um we're not going to be a threat directly, directly, we're not going to be yeah. a th- we're not going to be a threat to your order your political order um, but we just want to be tolerated so that we can kind of do our, our own thing in our isolated, marginalized community. And that's exactly what I mean. If you look at the political theology and the, and the, the way they talk about moral witness, where they talk about gospel issues, um, all, all the rhetoric and, and, the, and the, the, the subtle political theology, the New Anabaptist turn, is designed to f- make Christians think of themselves as, by default, and it's even preferable that we are a marginalized, unthreatening community to the prevailing ideology of of the land.
0: That's very interesting. That's
1: reconcilist, but again, they're they're orthodox in, in, right. in, in strict way in certain things.
0: So, so the, the interesting thing to me is because um, you're helping make sense and put some pieces together that I thought I kind of understood, but you you've clarified. There's this this sense in which all the gospel issues. Are issues that do not directly oppose the prevailing ideology right. uh, so a gospel issue is you know welcoming refugees that's a gospel issue and it's like well i'm not against you know the church should be welcoming to everyone right but that they make that, that they, that's the flag we need to raise and that happens to be something that won't get us in trouble with the media or academia or you know, any of the elites in the culture uh, and and so that's fascinating to me. And I'd like for you to just give me your opinion on this. You may not have been prepared for this. I don't know, but uh, I'm going to pick your brain here. One of the confusing things, I think, uh, to myself, although I thought about this, and I think I might know, but to a lot of others is how did we go from moral majority religious right in a sense, like, like your Jerry Falwell's and your Pat Robertson's, obviously they're the two, there was others, but, you know, they're very much. Roe v. Wade happens and like we're going to now uh be salt and light in the political sphere and I'm not saying they always did it right but but there was this attempt Francis Schaeffer you know to to get out there and to stop moral evil outside the Christian ghetto and um and and now we have completely abandoned that. It seems like at least with the institutions in evangelical Christianity, and we're saying, "Hey, our ghetto is the best ghetto. You should come because we've got." And then it's like a list of things that we have that are preferable to the outside world, and we're trying to you know woo them in. So how do how do we make that switch?
1: Um, I I can't say I'm, I'm an expert with kind of the old religious right, but I I think in, in part they're kind of they, well. You could say, in, in some ways, that um, uh, it's it's we're very similar. Uh, that these that these that our our evangelicals today are are kind of the same thing, but look very different. I, I think the the old religious right saw political activity as a way of of filling pews, um, and and this might just be one aspect and not the actual principal part of it. But there was a sense in which if you preach a lot of politics from the pulpit it would get a lot of people to go to church, and including men. So I think there was a, a, if you preach politics from the pulpit, a lot of men will go to church. So I think there was something, a, a aspect to that of like a, um, trying to fill pews. That I, I, I don't mean to say that, that that's the intent of the whole movement, but I think today there is still the sense of, well, instead of doing self-assertive um, political activity, we're going to then have our isolated communities make it attractive to Uh, different people um, and have them come in uh, to church. So it's kind of very similar, but, but how we, how we got from there, I I, I don't, I I don't think I don't have a a solid narrative, Mm -hmm. Um, but, but I do think that, that, uh, that, that, that these, the, the, the people who think marginalization is the default, the reconcilers, they do think that what's hindering people from coming to, to faith or coming coming to church and by the way they, I think they mean like coastal elites by the way <laughs> i think most of this theology assumes a coastal elite um uh uh attractional model um but the the, the marginalization uh is uh what, what it does is it, it it lets you present it's basically a way of present making the church attractive but you're making a church attractive by affirming but but just going just far enough in your affirmation, where you're still affirming orthodoxy, so take so they'll, they'll they'll say that homosexual acts, for example, are wrong; that they're immoral, they're against the biblical standard. But they'll go as far as possible. Many many people in affirming um, aspects of homosexuality or or same sex attraction, or whatever, just to make just to show that they are not the old kind of. Uh, you know, dismissers that they're not going to—they're not part of the old oppressive regime, so that they're really kind of showing that hey, the church is this place where yeah, we don't affirm all this stuff, but at the same time, we will recognize yeah. affirm that the new elevation of celibacy is an interesting thing in evangelicals. That's really typically kind of a Roman Catholic thing, uh, but now this sudden affirmation of the vocation of celibacy is an interesting um, development, and I think that again, it's affirming. Uh, it's 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 showing forth this attractive um, ecclesial community to the world to to try to get them to come to church. In itself, it's not wrong. But my analysis, uh, well, I mean, there're probably things wrong with it. But my my point though is really, what what function does this play within our society? And my argument is that really these people who have elevated to, to do all these things are really elevated in, uh, because of uh, it, it nullifies Christianity as a threat right. to the prevailing ideology. So that, again, that's my, my, my central point. That's one point of analysis to understand these people.
0: Yeah, and I have so many things in my, my head that I'd like to discuss with you, but I, I want to get down to the kind of the main point here because um, I think you beautifully articulated these three groups. And for someone like you and I who see uh, this, we see the reconcilers as kind of a threat because we know that this is at best, this is a temporary movement because they will either be, I mean, you can't really be in that state forever. You're going to be sucked to one side or you're as the state grows and the prevailing ideology, which opposes Christianity is set into more of a kind of like a hard national orthodoxy. Those guys aren't going to have, the influence, they're, they're not going to be a, um, a force at all for anything. And so um, what do we do with that? Like, how do, how do we view them? Because you, you pin the difficulty. There's an orthodoxy that they will affirm, but yet at the same time, they are making, they're, they're neutralizing any threat that the prevailing anti-Christian ideology has. So, I mean, how do you navigate this in your own life?
1: Uh, well, I, I mean, for me in particular, like, like I said earlier, uh, I just I, I'd say again, just be very self-aware that we're all infected. <laughs> I mean, it's almost like a disease. Um, my ideology works that way, especially nowadays because we're bombarded with from from the moment we're born, we're bombarded with media, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's stronger. The ideology is stronger now than than it's ever been um, because before you you were isolated, you were distant. Before all this media, you just had kind of a, a small social circle, but now it's uh it's um, it's the control of it is is uh tremendous yeah, so be very self aware of the ways um, in which you're drawn towards i'd say tra- cognitive tranquillity. be willing to do things that seem uncomfortable you know sometimes you 'll say something or say something on Facebook or say something out loud. And you believe that what you're saying is true, but at the same time that you have that feeling of, uh, do I really want to say that? Yeah. And, and, con- <laughs> and more than that, it's, it's almost like, it's like being so, you're socialized into ways of thinking and action. So I'm from California, so of course, I'm all about recycling. Um, you know, And uh, from kindergarten, we were talking about recycling. I remember that. Um, uh-huh. and, or j- just driving down the road, imagine you finish a burger and you throw out the package out the window. Uh-huh. Um, that that would affect you. Uh, to me, I'd be wow. That was would, would, like wow. What did I just do? Uh-huh. There'd be a very a feeling of almost like self disgust. Um, and and of course, that's good. Okay. Don't throw burger wrappers out the window. But it, but there's also I, uh, aspects of thought that if you say something, you can know what I'm saying is true. At the same time, that that you have a a subtle, almost like self disgust for saying it. Maybe that's too extreme way to put it. But there's a certain self um uh there's an emotion you say emotional psychological reaction to your own statement as if like you've made something public and you're like offended by your own public statement in some ways and but we have to be willing I and mean, we want to be prudent and wise i'm not saying right. be, be jerks or or be dumb but but we have to but at the same time be willing to state what is true despite your own just despite the own sort of cognitive dissonance discomfort it, it'll lead you that, and, that is and, so good. and work through that because that's uh, i think that's really important because what and i say that because the, the people who are reconcilers, I, I mean i'm friends with people who i'd consider reconcilers um so i actually want to clarify something about that a little later but yeah i think the draw for them is they're intellectually convinced by christianity but they at the same time are deep down i think enmeshed in modern liberalism that, that's my i think psychologically they are drawn to it and that's one reason why I think that they are the ones and, and I, th- I think they're, many of them are very intelligent. I, and, you know as much as I beat up on Alan Noble, I think the guy's very intelligent. Yeah. Um, uh, and, uh, but, but because they have these like, I, I would say monoliberal sentiments, they are the ones, because they're also gifted, are the ones that then fill the slots as these reconciler slots. Um, but I think that they have a tension between what they intellectually affirm and what they also in sentiment um, feel as well. Uh, but we are all like that. I think there's a spectrum in a sense. We're all like that in a sense where we have sentiments that clash with our intellectual conclusions. And what's important is that we, um, we work to shape those sentiments around what we affirm intellectually. Uh, and, uh, that, that'll be, that, that'll be, I think the, um, the important, yeah, I think that'll That's be really going good. forward. But but the, the reconciles, I think they're going to be the ones who will turn into capitulators. I don't see many of them becoming warriors, but um, they'll try to maintain that middle ground. But but just like in, in the in the debates on racism and stuff, you'll never they'll never satisfy the actual liberal regime. You can't satisfy it because it's really in the end it's perfect conformity or, or bust or you're out or you're you're, you're done, right? Um, and it seems to be approaching. Um, forms of physical brutality. So we're but moving away, we're moving away from rhetoric. We're moving or not, not we're moving away, but it's moving beyond rhetoric and psychological manipulation and uh, that sort of thing. And yeah. it, sound, it seems like there's going to be more legal aspects to um, that undermine Christian faith. And there's going to be um, not more, more than, and, and perhaps even the justification of, of a, uh, of a certain physical brutality. I'm and certainly, and you see some rhetoric, uh, Antifa, of course, that's yeah. all fascists. Um, and the media doesn't, and some many like the Portland mayor doesn't do anything to defend people who stand uh,
0: down. thing in Charlottesville, so, stand down, you know? Yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That was, that was really good. You know, the verse that keeps popping up in my mind is friendship with the world is enmity against God. Mm-hmm. And, i I see the reconcilers uh, and i'm not going to put i don't want to put them all in one box that they're all the same and i know there's differences but um but that's certainly i think an issue that they all probably would need to think through like am i trying to be friends with the world here and what you're saying is you know don't don't think about that try try to rid yourself of that wanting to be friends with the prevailing you know where everyone else is going and what they think and and just stick to the truth of god's word and what he says and Um, You know, I know (laughs) uh, you mentioned Doug Wilson as someone who's, uh, you know, not a reconciler, uh, more of a warrior. And there's been times, uh, you know, I've wanted to, I I thought, man, Doug made a really good point in this. I'm going to, I'm going to post this or whatever. And then I think, I really want to post Doug Wilson, you know, and like, yes, I do. (laughs) Yes, I'm going to do that, you know, and and I, and I do it. But like that little thought that like, Hmm. well, someone going to think, you know, because, well, he's hated, but no, he, he made a good point here you know that little struggle uh i think really gets to the heart of what you're talking about we all have it it is like you know it, it's innate you know uh, it's it's something in you know that grieves our spirit in a sense and uh,
1: so i appreciate well, that incredible. yeah I, th- I think that you people become people become e- uh, uh, easily toxic um and this is in part from i think social media particularly twitter um where you can just be beat up by random people for, you know, Doug Wilson could be talking about eschatology and then all of a sudden <laughs> someone brings up his old book from the nineties on race and, or, right, or right. from slavery. And you're like, "What you? do you know, <laughs> it doesn't have any direct relevance to what he said. Uh, um, but uh, that, so, happened, to yeah, that yeah. happened to me. That happened uh, to me. You know, and uh, I, I'm going to just share this. I mean, this
0: happened to me a few weeks ago with some guys, we were talking about something completely unrelated and someone went back on my Facebook and found something from 10 years ago. <laughs> I had watched, I had watched a documentary about uh, Jefferson Davis. It was called, um, I think it was called Jefferson Davis, an American president. And by the way, I, I do endorse it. You should go get it. It's a, it's a good documentary of understanding Jefferson Davis. It taught me a lot of things I didn't know. And actually it made me have some respect for the guy on a personal level, like what he went through. And stuff. so anyway, um, I had put that, that I, I really liked this documentary. And I said, this guy's like a hero of mine now. Now, doesn't mean I don't. I have heroes in the, in the north and the south. I have ancestry that goes back both directions. I honor both sides of my family and stuff. But but yeah, no, I'm, I honor the southern side as well. Well, that in this conversation, completely unrelated to that, someone pulls this this thing from ten years ago and puts it in. John's a racist. John, you know, and just and then it's like you know mosquitoes, like coming out. It's like you know, fifteen people immediately. John's a racist. John's a racist. So yeah, um, that's the kind of thing where it's like. You know you can't have a rational dialogue, and the temptation would be for me just like I'm never going to post anything that the you know the world would think is controversial, and that's wrong too so
1: yeah. um, but you you know so I, what what happened there though is that they are they're actually using i don't know if it's a Christian or not who who they're uh, Christian what they
0: claim to be yeah
1: but what they what they're actually doing is that they're they are relying upon a rhetorical weapon that is um that did not arise from Christian circles, but is actually part of the, I'd say the, the basic rhetorical move of our society. And they're using that as, as a, almost like a wind at their back in order to go after you. So it's a certain technique they're using, you know, it's a rhetorical device. It's a certain technique. And that's kind of what I'm talking about. In part, what I'm talking about is uh, someone like you who who asserts something 10, 10, years ago, and then what, what do they do? They think they're being I don't know, heroic in some ways, but they're really just using this, this kind of silly rhetorical device from broader society to go up against yeah. you. Um, and, and they're pro- and then you can say they're even Christianizing it too, because maybe they bring up like the, you know, the image of God or something like that. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it, it's like this, the people who want to dwell on dignity, human dignity, this and that. And, but they just use the word image of God um, and, yeah. for, for all that. So it's just a Christianization of a rhetorical device. I uh, spent racism is a, a, the accusation of racism is, is just one of those things.
0: It's like meaningless at this point. It's just like, but no
1: idea no, no, yeah, they, they, they see you. I, well, I, it's in some sense it's a compliment. If someone's going to go back, no one's done <laughs> that to me. <laughs> I don't know what they'd find, but, but for 10 years ago, they actually go after, they look at your stuff 10 years ago. That means uh-huh. they see you as a threat, right? So w- w- what's a way to nullify a threat? Well, you use, you know, if you're reconciler, you, you're going to use the tools available to you by the, You know the ideology um, uh, to beat you down because that that's the in the end what's gonna nullify or gonna neutralize um, what's gonna eliminate the threat is actually going to be the very the the tools of um, of the world I I say world I want to be clear but the, the tools of modern liberal ideology right and that's exactly what happened to you I think that's actually a great great example of what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. which is one, probably these people, I'm guessing affirm a lot of uh, all sorts of orthodoxy that, you know, you wouldn't want to call them a heretic. M- maybe not, but, but I'm saying you, yeah. you can, you can see it. You can see how these guys would be orthodox, except that yeah. except what they do as reconcilers, they, if they're in your camp, filling the, um, meeting the distinctives, but then rely upon the rhetorical tools of the ideology to then neutralize you. And that's exactly what happened. I'm not saying you've been neutralized, but that was the attempt.
0: Right. Yeah. And I, and I have, and I realize, you know, those who are, you know, <laughs> the people that are going to buy into that line of reasoning are probably not people that would be fans of me anyway, or like <laughs> what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. That's fine. But, you know, I, I was thinking, um, want to make this final point, see what you think, but shame is often used to control people in mm-hmm. false religions. I mean, and, and, you know, obviously, uh, for reform christians were very familiar with the reformation and kind of like how even in selling indulgences and um just the way that the catholic church financed itself was based on shame and i was uh, i was reading this the other day i think it's um oh i want to say second uh timothy where paul talks about false teachers going in uh to these like widows houses who are weighed down it says weighed down in sins and they take advantage of them and Um, there was a situation, uh, with, uh, you know, close to us where someone was, it was, it was like a church leader and it was an an adulterous situation. And, um, and it was pretty much that verse to a T and, and we had talked to this individual and, um, the story was, well, yeah, there, I was, you know, I wasn't going to do it anymore. And there was this shame and this person, this church leader would keep showing up at the door and, um, and, and there was like a manipulative tactic to use, previous sin against this person to get them to keep sinning. So sh- shame is just one of these things that you can use to um, get people to do what you want them to do. And that's what I see. that's so dangerous in this reconciliation motif is yeah. the willingness sometimes to use that shame. I'm not saying that everyone's like that, but but I, I've seen it far too often uh, using the world standards to, to bash someone who's in the warrior kind of mentality of, you know, um, come to our side, be like us, be neutralized, be effeminate, really. Uh, I don't know. What do you think about that?
1: Is that, I, I would say that, that, that shame in itself is not a bad thing. It's actually very good for society to have, uh, it, formally speaking, mm-hmm. um, to have some, to have shame, uh, I,
0: I about the right for, things for yeah. for,
1: yeah, for, for a long time. I actually, before these last few years, I, I was a big advocate of, the idea of a community giving kind of nasty looks at people who are doing the wrong thing. I, you know, I, I, <laughs> for a long time, I, I said that, and I said that Christians as a Christians should do it too, because it's a, a way of social discipline and make mm. sure we all a piece of one another. If you do something wrong, I remember telling a guy, what are you going to do if a guy Again, it's like throwing trash. At one. Let's say a guy drives down your street and he always throws cups out the window and makes a trash your neighborhood. Are you going to confront him or what are you going to do? Uh-huh. Um, and uh try to get him to stop. Um, that's part of our, I think, Christian or just part of our uh being in being in, in a, a, a good world is that you have to kind of say stop yeah. that, you know, look at him. Yeah. Anyway, so sh- shame itself I don't think is wrong. But um
0: No, no, and I but, wasn't but, but, saying that, but, like, but she no, according I, I don't, to the world standard, yeah.
1: Yeah, but this is this is my point, is that the way they shame is uh almost always I, I and I can't think of an exception, maybe there are, almost always with the like say the the wind of the world or the wind of liberalism at their their backs you know what Mm -hmm. i mean so like one example is the covington kids the covington kids example you had all sorts of evangelical leaders going after those covington kids you know the the incident with him and the uh the on the dc steps with um like the like the the the, the black nationalists and and the um American Indian guy, and they, they all just went after them too. I, I wrote a, actually a, a blog post on that of Sovereign Nations, like J.D. Greer, um, Karen <laughs> Swallow, all those people um, went after him. Uh, and, uh, uh, but th- th- that's just another example of how they are just take their cues of what to be outraged about, what to shame about from the world. So th- there is really like you know you're opposed to refugees or you're opposed you're xenophobic you're racist you're nativist you're whatever you're you're a, a nationalist and that's all bad um yeah it, yeah yeah it, it's just it, it's one thing to shame because you cheat on your wife or something you know it's whole, because that, you shame that person right. uh, Um because that's an actual thing that's clearly you don't do it but then if you're doing that or if you're doing anything simply because as a as by the force of the ideology. And by the way, what it does is actually does the reconciliation of by which, you know, I mean, that makes you passive. It pacifies. That's another word I I meant to use in my piece was that it pacifies you in relation to um, the world um, in terms of politics.
0: Right. It seems like there's two ways of dealing with different quote unquote sins. Um, You brought up the guy who throws trash out and I could see someone being like, no, wait, like, don't give them a nasty look or you don't confront them go find out what their story is. What led them <laughs> yeah. to throwing that cup out? Because that's yeah. the way, that is one way that it seems like uh, they de- homosexuality is like the number one thing or any sexual sin really that now the reconciliation evangelicals uh, will use in that regard. They'll say, oh, you, sh- you need to go find out like what, what led him to make that decision. And, you know, there's, there's things you don't understand. It's like you have to find all, all this knowledge or, you know, gang violence, you know, you need to know what it's like to live in their conditions. And, and to an extent, that's true. You should be like empathetic and understanding, but, but like they, they have that language towards that. But if you, if you do something like, you know, hey, I like a doc- documentary about Jefferson Davis 10 years ago, it's like, yeah. boom, like there's no
1: like trying to understand. It's all condemned, you know? Right. And, and, and I'd say, I mean, one thing that I think important thing about the kind of the homosexuality, homosexuality issue, I think there has been, so there has been some good in kind of understanding people's situation. So before people, I think were very kind of dismissive and disgusted by even just the idea of same sex attraction. So mm-hmm. I think there's been some good in the movement towards understanding these people um, and like seeing, people. Them, seeing, seeing them as as Chris as fellow Christians who have um, some sort of pattern of uh, 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 of sin in life, just like we all do. Um, but I think the 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 big the big thing to look for, though, is not that. Though there is some aspects that to talk about, I think it's also the matter of elevating these people as, um, as, as some, as if they're they are uh, like a some grand benefit to the church, mm-hmm. as, as being um, that deserve a certain distinct class um, among other Christians. The rise of of celibacy, for example uh, as, as a, as a sort of, um, higher calling. I mean, the way they, the way we talk, the talk about celibacy often sounds like it's a sort of heavenly calling as if it's, uh, um, as if there's like a two tier Christianity, there's like the rest of us. And then there's the people who are the higher celibate ones. So just, I think it's also a matter of ecclesiology, how they, how, uh, we're kind of elevating people in these important And and again, what that does, your marginalized community you show yourself out to the world. Look who we are. Yeah, we're still orthodox, you know. But right. at the same time, look at the way we affirm all these various identities. We didn't get an identity politics, but we affirm these various identities within our church. So imagine again. It's like we're an island, and we're or, or a, no, we're a city on a hill, and that and and we're <laughs> we're kind of you know, it's like it's the same sort of thing. We're a city on on a hill, and if we get this right, guys, all these people are going to kind of celebrate yeah. our. Um, the the way we reflect heavenly politics or whatever and what does that mean well you have uh, front and center before the world the various identities that they hold sacred and we're forming them so what are the various identities well the the idea of you know a lot of race stuff a lot of sexual stuff um, uh, being very multicultural All, all these things is like having a separate island presenting ourselves to um, to the world as an uh, attractional model i really think it's a sort of reversed attractional model not reverse but it's like the same coin fl- you know on two sides one one used to be let's do politics and all these men will show up to church that's uh-huh. that's like the old way <laughs> people would be mad when they said that but the the, the the other um you're in trouble with both crowds at this point <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but th- then the other side is uh gonna be um the opposite which is uh pacification Yep but um, affirming um, all these uh, uh, cultural norms of coastal elites.
0: There's a really um, good example of this, I think, in The Living Out, because they have a church audit where you can make sure that your church is a safe space for homosexuals who might want to come there. And I know that Nine Marks churches, some I'm not saying all of them at all, but I know some Nine Marks churches have used this. Uh, and I don't know of anything out there to, like, well, like, like, let's pick another sinful inclination. Like, uh, you know, and, and when I say the word racist, I mean, in the old sense of actually devaluing someone in ethnic pride and so forth. But let's, let, you know, let's, let's talk about like a, a church um, audit to help make you, you get friendlier to racists, you know, make them feel comfortable so they oh, can yeah. come and worship, you know, understand them. Like, that's not out there. That is like, it's crazy talk, right? But we'll do it with something that the world, like a sin the world says, oh, that that sin's okay. So it's, it's, it's
1: fascinating. It's exactly- no, that, 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 that's, that's an excellent point. Yeah. So if you look at the sort of people that we are, we ought to be kind of missionally concerned about, You'll notice that the alt right are really not on the top of the list. <laughs> <They're> <laughs> or, not no. Uh, uh, the the so called nationalists. The, the, they'll they'll call. I mean, they'll call people like probably you and me. I don't know your politics very much, but yeah. they probably call me like some sort of Christian nationalist. So that's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and want to distance themselves from me, but but they'll also want to become buddies with people who are at Revoice and kind of pushing the extremes there as well. Yeah. Uh, and so yeah, you, you just. This is something about gospel issues like the whole term gospel issue is is you have these phrases it's really just kind of this selective uh it, it's a kind of this ad hoc selection of issues just like you have this ad hoc selection of identities that you want to affirm or or um uh, be missional towards whereas the other ones you attack but why do you attack nationalists why, why do you yeah. attack these other people why well because they're the ones who are most hated by the modern liberals. So modern liberals hate Trump supporters. They want to beat beat them, as we heard um, a few days ago from MSNBC. We, we should beat them, as one guy said. Um, uh, and so, uh, but who who do you affirm? Will you affirm all their sacred identities? Mm-hmm. So it just perfectly maps. I mean, if you just look at the the chief concerns of reconcilist evangelicalism, yeah. the chief concerns almost perfectly match. Apart from abortion, almost perfectly match. Modern liberalism, except that it's uh to the extent that they don't actually violate basic orthodoxy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Again, the capitulators are the ones who just go all out into that camp. The, the reconcilers Roger push it until. They can affirm just up to the point of not abandoning orthodoxy
0: yeah and that's an excellent excellent point point. and that's really what i wanted people to understand you know i was um i was looking at this video that of uh walter strickland and some of the things he said about james cone and Diotis roberts and you look at you read cone and you read roberts and they're like yeah we don't take the bible literally like yeah like orthodoxy psh, like that's how they they act but then Strickland who's more of a reconciler he's like well we can take good ideas from these guys we can chew up the meat we can spit out the bones and we can keep our orthodoxy while also uh meshing it with their liberation theology hmm. and and that is what i see out there you know and and it seems like the guys who are the capitulators are actually more consistent they're at least admitting like yeah you can't really have biblical orthodoxy and try to maintain this um which is why i don't think the reconcilers are going to be around for too, for long but you know, that's my prediction. I don't know if, you know, you see it that way, but, uh, yeah, we, we've been going actually, wow, we, we, <laughs> time flies when I'm talking with you. It's been like an hour. Um, I really appreciate you talking uh, about this and, and making it understandable to my audience and, and hopefully layman is, is who I try to make this for. Um, we didn't even get into two kingdom theology. So I'm going to have to have you back on when you write something about two kingdom theology sometime. Um,
1: but anyway, anyways, uh, if I can just, will, say, just say yeah. one more, one more thing. Uh, I don't think I mentioned. So th- when I talk about these reconciler guys, what what I want to make clear is I'm not demonizing them. Right. And I'm not, I'm not saying this to be kind of, you know, to, I want to maintain peace. I'm saying this, but I think it's true. And I think most of these guys are not even, don't even realize what they're doing, what they're yeah. up to Good because, they, uh, because they're, well, yeah. So I, I'm not, I'm not saying they're the bad guys and that we should demonize that somehow we should kick them out of from our camp. Uh, so I, I think actually, and I'm not saying they're unintelligent. In fact, I think they're actually, many of them are very intelligent. Um, I know them, uh, from friends with them, many of them. So I'm not trying to like attack them saying, hey, you guys are actually on order get out of here. I do, but I do think that they are mistaken, and I think they are self-unaware. They're unaware of the of the way of the role they play in our society. And I think, if if anything, what I'm saying is that we should all, being all of us on a spectrum in the ideology, I really think it's important to think that way. Um, we should all seek to become self-aware, and then 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 change our postures towards each other and towards the world um, uh, uh, on account of that self-awareness. I'm so glad that, I think I put that, put that out there.
0: I'm glad you said that. I'm glad, especially after my last comment, which I didn't, I agree with what you just said. Yeah, absolutely. They're not necessarily enemy, um, they're, but uh, anyway, yeah, where can people find you if they want to, I know you write for sovereign nations, but
1: yeah, I mean, you can find some of my writings on sovereign nation. I think the, the best way is you can, you can Google my name and then, uh, not that I'm very famous or anything, but if you put my name and then uh, do LSU or somewhere or, or, or evangelical or something like that, you'll usually get a list of the things I've written. So if you're interested in all that, I've written on two kingdom theology. Stephen. Or, so I'm a fan, Boyer. which some people think now. Now I'm the reconciler, <laughs> 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 but we didn't get to that. Um, but yeah,
0: nice, nice. So um, yeah, so I, I look forward to he- seeing more of your writings, and uh, we'll have to connect again when to talk about two kingdom theology sometime. So thank okay. you. Okay. Cool. Yeah. thank you. God bless. Yeah, bye now. Sick of being upsold at gyms?